I'm finishing this passage of Scripture from Matthew 8 through Matthew 9. And I had a difficult time whether I should include chapter 10, the first few verses, in this grouping of Scripture, which I've entitled Jesus Still Heals. But what I see happening in chapter 10, which we're going to be looking at in the next month, is, is really following Jesus Instructions on people who want to be participants, not spectators, in a sense. Which this whole, this whole experience that you read through chapters 8 and 9, which really begins in chapter 4, is Matthew's way of setting up for people as they read it all that God does and all that you can be a part of in what God does. They're not just stories about Jesus. And that's why in chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, as we're going to read this here, and I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, because I like the kind of contemporary punch it has to it. And then as we go through the verses, I'll be reading through the New International Version, and you'll see those on the screen. But Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Matthew writes, Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. And when he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. Jesus ministered and brought disciples along with him in order, I think, for them to observe and to see that who he was was God in flesh. And as a result of that, that they might be able to understand that this one Jesus was going to call them twelve to go and do the same. And we see that in chapter 10, in just a moment, he calls these 12 specifically and gives them instructions. But if you read through Luke, you'll also see at a certain point, not after after he's called the 12, he recognizes that the harvest is way too great for them to bring in alone. He calls 70 and sends them out two by two into all the areas in order to begin to bring in the harvest. And then after his death and and as his, he, he comes forward after his resurrection and he tells him, I'll meet you up on a mountain up in Galilee. He, he meets with them before he ascends into heaven. And before he ascends into heaven, he says to them, all authority has been given to me. Not just a little bit, not just some. If you go into the Old Testament, there are times when some of the kings or the prophets would say some authority has been given. But he says, all authority has been given me to give to you. And there's 500 of them standing there. And it says some doubted and some worshipped. Kind of a mixed bag of people, probably somewhat like we may be as we sit here this morning. And Jesus looked at him and said, I am giving you a commission to go into your life, your regular networks that you live in day in and day out. 
whether it be um, through school networks, you have relationships with other school friends or with parents of friends, or whether it be in work with those who are work colleagues, or whether it be through your natural social relationships throughout the week, I'm sending you to harvest. To not just come into worship on a Sunday, but to live your life with the mindset that you have been given hands and feet and eyes and mouths to bring about God's harvest. I like this anonymous quote. Sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty and suffering and injustice when he could do something about it. Ever thought that? Sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty and suffering and injustice when he could do something about it. And the person says to him, well, why don't you ask him? Because I'm afraid, he says. Because I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. Let's pray. Father. There is almost inherent in this passage of Scripture that same question that in our own hearts we kind of go, God, why don't you do something about it? And you come back and you say, I did on the cross. And so, God, I pray through this message you would be asking us what is our part, encouraging us where we have stepped forward in our part, redirecting us if we're asking for what we're to do now. And for some who are going, I just don't even get this whole thing, what it means to follow Jesus, that you would even speak to the needs of each person here. Whatever, wherever we are at on this journey, God, meet us this morning, we pray. Amen. So let's begin at verse 35. And uh, I want you to know that what I find interesting about verse 35 is it's, it's truly a repeat of what happened in chapter 4 of verse 23. It's, it's basically a summation of an introductory statement made back in chapter 4, verse 23. So what you have is these bookends um, that, that make a statement about the ministry and character of the ministry of Christ and ends again with a, with a summary of this is the character of the ministry of Christ. What I told you he was doing... And what I showed you he did, I now, in a sense, just show you in summary, that's what he did. In a sense, he's showing us the character of the ministry of Jesus, which is really to be the character of our own ministry. And in a real sense, we are to be like Jesus. We're to be itinerants. I like the way it says it in Eugene Peterson's because he's made a circuit of all the towns and villages. It's the idea that everywhere he, 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 he walked and from place to place, wherever he would go, wherever he was at, whenever that moment would occur, whenever the spirit of God would begin to work in him, he would respond to what God was bringing before him. And so we look at the character of the ministry of Jesus, and I take a look at this just in a moment to explain this a bit further. There's a sense that each and every one of us are itinerants. Now, we're not going to go around and we're not going to go from town to town and actually be evangelist healers who maybe um, are bringing a group of people around us to train them to do what we're doing. But in a real sense, every one of us are to be like Jesus in this very sense of the character of Christ, and that is that we are itinerants. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, you have... Situations and circumstances and people where they need the loving touch of God. 
you know, we're not called right now to look and say, okay, this is what Jesus did. But for a moment, just to stop and say, do you know that as you walk out of here, there may be moments through this day where you have the opportunity to touch someone with the love of God. And as you wake up tomorrow morning, there is an opportunity for you to say, here I am. I have harvest hands, God, today. And I want you to take these harvest hands in a sense. And I want you to take this mouth as well. And then take these feet and guide me and lead me so that I might be a person like Jesus, who as I walk through this day, have the Holy Spirit filling me in such a way that I might be able to love those whom you've placed before me. And some of those will be things that we're aware of. And sometimes they will be things that we won't find out about till maybe later or Maybe someday when we stand with God. So everywhere we go, like Jesus, we bring this presence of God. We move throughout this day carrying a vital truth, the good news of God's rule and love. It is a good thing to be in God's kingdom, which means to have given yourself to submit to his will and the exertion of his rule in your life, because it is always the best place to be is what jesus would tell people so matthew 9 35 jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness as i said it's almost an exact repeat of chapter 4 verse 23 if you look at this verse 23 says jesus went throughout galilee teaching their in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom healing every disease and sickness among the people the only two changes are instead of towns and villages In verse 23 of chapter 4, it says Galilee, the region. And the only other difference at the end of this sentence, healing every disease and sickness, where it ends there in verse 23, in verse 35, in verse 23, it says among the people. And they're really insignificant. Because Matthew is describing the pattern of Jesus as a rabbi. He realize that one of the things that each one of us are called to do to some degree or another, the thing that Jesus did throughout his ministry is he would declare the truths of the kingdom so that you come to chapters 5, 6, and 7, as we said, and he declares in the Sermon on the Mount these truths. There are truths that we can tell people. They're not, they're not things up for grab, but they're not also things where you kind of point in your finger and say, this is the truth, and if you don't believe it, it's more the kind of thing like you say to someone, you know, if you jump off a 20-story building, you're probably going to hurt yourself. That's a truth. It's just, it's, that's how Jesus presented. It was so funny. Jesus never said you should do this or, or that. He basically said, here's the reality. You can live in it or you're not. He declared the reality of what's true in the kingdom of God. If you take your life and you submit your life to God and you begin to allow him to rule and to work through your life, he will begin to change your life in such ways that as he works from the inside out, it will cause pain and it will begin to develop in such a way that your life will make a difference in the lives of others around you. It'll make a difference in your own marriage and with your relationship with your kids. So he declares the kingdom and then he goes on and he talks about demonstrating the reality of the kingdom. So after he declares it in chapters five through seven, chapters eight through nine, he goes around. That's what we looked at story upon story where Jesus demonstrated the love of God as he healed people and calmed storms and demonstrated his ability in each and every circumstance that comes into a person's life. And then lastly, here's where chapter 9, the end of it comes. He ends it with a transition as we get into verses um, 36 through 38. He makes this transitional statement and he basically says, I want you to look because I want you to do what I'm doing. 
A rabbi was never satisfied with passing on intellectual information. It's not like our Western classrooms where you go to school and someone stands up and lectures for an hour and you take lots of notes and you hope you can regurgitate it well. That would never give a passing grade for one who would follow a rabbi. A rabbi was never one who was necessarily just impressed with bringing crowds together. So when a crowd came together and he did some of those works, he was really thrilled about that. A rabbi's sole purpose was to do this. It was to teach sometimes intellectual, informational truths that would begin to transform a life. And when the life was transformed, that life would become like the life of the rabbi. That rabbi would hope that the person who had learned would also begin to do, would express the love that the rabbi himself was expressing at least that's the mark of what jesus was about so if it came to like students being trained the greatest joy of every teacher is obviously that the students grasp not just the truths but they actually apply those truths because who as a driver's ed teacher would be thrilled that if the student went past the written test but couldn't pass the driving test right how many medical schools flaunt the fact that they have enough of them to get you know of these students to get past mcats but they never get into profession or what about lawyers? They may pass the bar exam, but do they practice? Or in all kinds of walks of life, Jesus is about taking people and beginning to allow them to know that this God who has is, who is come into their life personally is personally desiring to walk through their life just like Jesus. And the character of the ministry of Jesus would be that everywhere we go, we have the opportunity to declare the reality of the kingdom, to demonstrate it by our acts, and to do those things that he did. And so everywhere we go, verse 35, we bring Jesus as itinerants. But now look at verse 36. Because in here is what I see is the heart of the ministry of Jesus Christ. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Not only everywhere Jesus went was he bringing the presence and power of God, but everywhere he went, he saw people with deep spiritual needs. Everywhere he went, he saw people who needed the Father. Everywhere you go, in the moments, in the days ahead of you, there are people who need Jesus. There are people who need you to see like Jesus sees. That's what I think is interesting here. He, he, makes, this, he makes this statement, if you notice these two things. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's what it says in the New International Version. Some of the versions will say when he saw the crowds, he was moved deep within his being. And the idea of the verb here, this idea of compassion, is, the, is really a word in the Greek called splankna. When you don't need to remember after I've said it, but it's the word splankna. It's a noun. It's really the word in ancient Greek which meant, more, meant bowels. But after time and over time, this word which meant bowels eventually became to be known as a verb so that when they would refer to it, they would refer to this word as a verb, as an action. Now you're kind of going, oh, what does that mean? It's similar to this. How many people know, you've heard about Google, right? Started out as a noun, right? It was a company that would help people get information. Now when we talk about it, we don't say Google the company, we often say, you what? You Google it. Kind of what was happening with this word. The idea is that when Jesus saw in his bowels, in the depths of his being, this word which stood for this, is this word now that means compassion. His, his, 
his inner being was so moved and so torn up by what he saw that he was moved to action to do something and to respond. And the idea is that when Jesus saw the crowds, his guts turned with compassion. Now, I want you to know Jesus first saw the crowds. That's what's interesting here. He saw the crowds. And Matthew wants us to know the secret of why a person, if you want to know what it means to be engaged in, in life, bringing the presence and, and the power of God into situations, you, you have to begin to see as Jesus saw. And it's interesting, it says crowds, but for Jesus, it's really pretty simple. It's not the crowds that were so important. What he saw was this group of people who were helpless and harassed. Jesus saw men and women who stood before him lost without direction. He saw individuals who felt worthless, who were hopeless, who felt marginalized, who weren't fitting in to the religious mechanisms of their culture, which was the synagogue even. Who stood on the outside, always wondering, could it be with what I've done in my life or what's going on in my life? Could God really does God really love me? Does he really care about me? They they were people who stood before this Jesus who was bringing to them this presence of God through the Holy Spirit that allowed for them to feel the fact that they were loved by God, that God really had a plan for them, that God wasn't just kind of pushing them off to the side. These were people who were helpless and harassed. And the word helpless means that they were so broken, they had given up, they had, they had no more in their being to give. They had tried. They had tried the church route. They had tried the religious path. They had done all they could. They tried to measure up. And every time they tried to measure up, they just couldn't make it. They were trying to be the best, trying to do what needed to be done to be accepted. They were hoping that those within that church culture, that synagogue culture of that day, would look at them and see them as good people, but they could never get it right, either through addiction or through their own pattern of sin or their own ambition or whatever it would be. They could never, ever get there. And the word harassed means the fact that they were like, you know, completely not just given up, but they were like on the ground without any strength. They were like sheep that had been badgered so much that they were filled with fear. And Jesus saw the crowds. And it wasn't necessarily the numbers. It wasn't necessarily the illnesses, honestly, that that moved his heart. It was their spiritual condition. It was the fact that they didn't know that God loved them and wanted to be in relationship with them. Ezekiel saw the same thing. Ezekiel 34 Ezekiel saying to the people who should be giving the message of God's love and truth. It says, God's message came to me. Son of man, is God speaking to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherd leaders of Israel. Yes, prophesy. Tell those shepherds, God the master says, doom to you shepherds of Israel. Feeding your own mouse, aren't shepherds supposed to feed sheep? You drink the milk, you make the clothes from the wool, you roast the lambs, but you do not feed the sheep. There isn't a heart in you for those who are lost. You like to gather together, you like to eat together, you like to be together. He says you don't build up the weak ones. You don't heal the sick. You don't doctor the injured. You don't go after the strays. You don't look for the lost. You bully and badger them, and now they're scattered every which way because there was no shepherd. Scattered and easy pickings for the wolves and coyotes. Scattered. 
My sheep, exposed and vulnerable across the mountains and the hills. My sheep, scattered all over the world and no one looking for them. Helpless and harassed. They had no hope that God actually cared for them. And they had no one who saw deep enough into their being and in so seeing were moved to do something about it. I want us to, you know, I could talk about that, but I want us to take a moment to um, see this could be something and any person could relate to it here. It may be more than what you see here in a moment. I really believe there are not just people who are feeling some of these things, but are being harassed and are helpless in all walks of life. People that sit next to you in a cubicle. People that we walk by as we go through a grocery counter. Um, There are people at Maple Hill Estates where we've been reaching out. There are people who they just need Jesus. They just need Jesus. I wanted to give you a glimpse, and as a team, as we thought about it, of so often what we don't see. And we don't see how simple it is. There truly is a divine power. And I look at this and I think of this message and I think about Jesus. And here is Jesus standing there and he sees crowds everywhere he goes. There are crowds of people who are separated from God, who don't understand. And they're trying every route they can. They've tried the religious walk. They have tried to make it through money. Matthew tried that. Matthew testifies to it. He thought he could do it in that way. They try every different path they can take. And every different path leads to a dead end that leads to a point of total frustration and helplessness to the point when this person in the black comes in in the sense of death itself and stands before and says, there's nothing better for you. And to end And I read this and I can't help but read this and read these lines when Jesus saw. Before he did anything, he had to see. He had to see the spiritual condition because there are all kinds of things getting in the way of him seeing what was really going on in the hearts of people. And that's a spirit of God kind of work in individuals and in people. And so when Jesus saw, he was moved. He was moved by the condition of the people. And he had compassion. He felt it. I want to take a moment and just ask you to, to just review these couple questions. Do you see the need? Do you see the need? And one thing, I could read to you statistics of of just needs like hunger. Such things as we hear around the world, one of four children in developing countries are underweight, and one of seven worldwide, that's almost 900 million people, don't have enough food to sustain themselves. That's just physical stuff. Approximately 25,000 people die of hunger or related causes every day. AIDS have left 15 million children as orphans in that country alone. Everyone has either been infected or affected. 
war since World War II. There's been over 250, and they have displaced so many people. I could read all kinds of things. Jesus saw the crowds. That's the crowds. He saw the stats. But what I found is interesting about the ministry of Jesus is that when he went through his day, the character of his ministry was that he went from place to place. And when he went from place to place, God brought before him individuals. And when he saw the individuals and he saw their pain, that's what moved their hearts. Because I think I could read to you all kinds of statistics that say there are people who have this kind of need. I could tell you about people who are in positions where they, they don't have God. They don't have the answers. I could give you the statistics, but until you actually are confronted with, that you actually meet with, that you actually are in, in the presence of that kind of pain, it, it seems like your heart, my heart, isn't moved. That's why when Jesus... Uh, sees the crowd, he can't help but be moved because in the chapters before that you see that he sees a man and all these individuals come before him. He has Levi who comes to him. He has a centurion who comes to him. He has um, two demoniacs who come rushing towards him. He has two blind people, a paralytic person, a deaf and mute person. All these individuals touched his life and when he saw the crowds, he knew not just the stats, he knew the personal stories that impacted their life. And so I was thinking about this. Do you see the need? That's a great question to ask. Because I really believe involvement always intersects at the corner of human connection, which moves heartfelt compassion. I truly believe that when personal stories are married to our story, we either have to not look at it or we have to look at it. And something has to happen within us. I this past week, I had asked on Sunday last week for some of the prayer team before the message to pray for me. My jaw was hurting. They prayed for me and asked. They gave me all kinds of things like, well, I've heard of sometimes when people's jaw are hurting that could actually be they're having a heart attack. I heard all these things and I'm getting nervous and thinking, okay, make me help me make it through Sunday. And then I um, go Monday and it's worse and I end up going to the dentist. Dentist can't figure it out, sends me to an endodontics. Endodontics guy can't figure it out. There's this pain here. He thinks maybe I, re- I need a root canal. And I'm sitting in his chair. He decides to do a root canal the next day at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I go, and I'm sitting there Tuesday morning, and I'm praying, God, I don't want a root canal if I don't need a root canal. <laughs> Would you make this pain specific? You ever play for that? Well, man, all of a sudden, within the next hour, it got so specific. In my lower back jaw, that lower left wisdom tooth began to throb. I couldn't even wait till 1 o'clock. I went to the endodontic at, at 10, and I said, I think I know what the issue is. And he started to poke around. He said, yep, that's it. I'll have to send you to an oral surgeon. He looked at all the oral surgeons, and they called, and they couldn't find anybody open. There's an oral surgeon in the same building downstairs. He said, you know what, why don't you go down and see, see him? But he wasn't going to take anybody because he was on his way to the hospital. But I went in and I, I didn't even get to see him. I got to see the ladies at the front desk and they saw me. And it moved their hearts. And, and they said, well, let me get the doctor. Let me talk to him for you. And then they got the doctor. They talked to the doctor. The doctor came out and saw me. And praise God. I said, whatever pain you got to do, take this pain away. And immediately brought me in and took out this wisdom tooth. And I want to tell you, people ask me, I hurt, and I go, it hurts. But it's nothing. It's nothing like it was. Honestly, what moved his heart was that some people saw me. 
That's what God is calling us to do. So I ask, do you see people? I mean, do you really see people in their pain? I had an opportunity um, this, this uh, last week on, on Thursday night to go to Maple Hill Estates to see our ministry. And here's my second question as I talk about this. Do you pause long enough to be impacted by the need? Do you actually put yourself in places where you can see the need? So I go to Maple Hill Estates and I see that and I see what God is doing there. And I can't help but say, God, this is a place where you could bring a whole lot of people to not get in the way, but to help people come to know you and to do something here. And just putting yourself in the place of it, it becomes not just Maple Hill Estates. It becomes a people, a person. You meet people and you get relationships and your heart's moved. And I don't know where it is, where God wants you to move. But if you don't see the need... And you don't put yourself in places, you know, if you're like most people, you're busy and you kind of go off. I I just and you you see most of these needs. You want to pass it by. You want to put it down. You want to move it over. You don't want to step into those places. You don't go to those places. If you end up going to those places, it could mean that you might have to respond. But you may miss the greatest thing in the world if you don't. You may be missing what God has actually built and wired you to do. When you actually move into those places and you see human need and you see the pain that's so great, and as you see that pain, it touches and affects your life, and as you respond to that, God begins to pour out His Spirit, and you go, I've never seen miracles in my life, but you will see miracles when, when your heart is moved by seeing the need and compassion flows through you. God begins to do things. That is, I believe, one of the reasons so often we don't see the work of God, we don't see the miracles of God, we don't see the healings of God, because we're never at the extremity, we're never out there where faith puts us in the place where we're meeting those kind of needs that only God can come around and He by His power can meet. Now, I generalize that because there are a number of people who are doing that, not just here, but in other churches. And I praise God. I say that I'm speaking in a sense, maybe to a few people who God is saying to you right now, you've been a spectator for a long time. You're in a place where you need to begin to pray about where should I be placed right now so that I can see the need and as I see the need, be moved by the need so that you can do something in my life that will forever change my life and change the lives of those around me. There's all kinds of ways God does that. And so you look at verse 37 38. And then he said to his disciples, after his heart was so moved and he was torn inside. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I was praying through this, and, and through times I've read commentaries, I've looked at this over the years, and I've often thought, yeah, there are times when there's harvest times, and we're not in one. I think Jesus is saying, there are harvest times all around us if we will open our eyes to see it, put ourselves in positions to be moved by it, and when we're moved by it, allow God to move in and do the things that He wants to do. I, I think if Jesus was to stand here today, honestly, if it, let's just pretend that Jesus by Spirit is standing here today, He would say this, My heart breaks because around you there is a harvest so plentiful but I want to tell you, there are just a few workers. Just a few workers. There's just a few people who really want to get in the game. And I think his, his answer is really, his response here is really interesting. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. One of the things that we're going to start doing is saying, God, we want to be a harvest sending body. We want to see people come in here who have hearts that want to see the need and who are touched by the need and go out. And we have been seeing that. We have reports of it throughout our fields. We want more. And what's interesting is Jesus moves from one figure of speech from flocks to fields so easily. The fields are ripe. Jesus sees the crowds. He's broken in his heart. He sees the crowds and he sees something else. He sees it differently than the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees have seen this crowd for years. Maybe not gathered all together, but they've seen the same people. They've looked at these people and they've seen them and they don't see them in the way that Jesus sees them. Where they see these people, they see all kinds of of people who have made really bad choices, who have screwed up and have come maybe from difficult circumstances but never got their act together and they're just deserving and ready to go to hell. That's what they saw. They saw people who screwed it up and blew it and... And if you look at it, the interesting analogy here is a field. He says, they saw, in a sense, chaff ready to be burned. But Jesus saw lost souls needing to be rescued. Hurting people, broken by life circumstances. Though, whatever reason, whether abuse or whether past addictions or poor parenting or whatever, it's compounded their sinful choices, they were people who could be saved. And Jesus saw not chaff ready to be burned, but he looked out at him and he saw wheat ready to be harvested. Which is another thing when I ask you to think about what you see when you look at those around you. Do you come to disgust and contempt or do you come to a place of brokenness and compassion that says, God, oh, but for your grace, I'd be there. And Jesus saw such a great opportunity. I remember, and I'll just... Kind of a stupid story about telling about the guys in the Wild West, Jeb and Will. They had left kind of the east to go to the west because they thought they could make some money, could maybe mining gold. They didn't know really what for sure, but they knew that people were making money out west. And they're passing through a one-horse town in northern Idaho, and they stop at the Lone Saloon for a drink, and in walks the local rancher carrying a wolf pelt. Good work, says the bartender, and he pulls out a wad of bills and counts them out into the rancher's outstretched hand. And after the rancher leaves, Jeb's just kind of in wonder. He asks the bartender, what's that all about? And the barkeep says, haven't you boys heard? We've got us a real wolf problem in these parts. And the county ain't done a thing about it. But just last week, a pack of them varmints came in and they took waste of my whole chicken coop. Old man Miller down the street, he'd lost four of his cattle to those bloodthirsty beasts. In fact, those things are so vicious, they have no fear. They'll go after anyone, and they've got to be stopped. So people in these parts have gotten together, and they said, we'll offer a bounty, $100, to anybody who brings in a wolf pelt. So Jeb and Wolf are excited. Their eyes are going, wow. So they take off. They immediately go out of there. They start hunting for wolves. They're wandering in the hills, and they're... In there several hours, it starts getting dark, they quit for the night, build a fire, get some sleep. The moon's full, Jeb's sound asleep. Will begins to hear some things. He kind of wakes up middle of the night, he's thinking he hears things, he looks out and sure enough, 
he quietly says, Hey, Jeff, get up. Jeff says, It's not light yet. Go back to bed. Will pushes Jeff slightly, hoping that he won't be noticed by these eyes red all around him. Jeff, I think you really ought to take a look. Not yet, Jeff says. Can't you see it's still dark? Will's voice now begins to tremor, and there's a waver of fear. Jeb, I'm begging you. Just open your eyes and look, you fool. Jeb sits up, rubs his eyes, and looks. They are surrounded by a pack of wolves, at least 50 in all, moving closer, growling, drooling, gnashing their teeth, licking their chops. And Jeb, now wide awake, takes into sight and grasps, Goodness gracious, we're rich! You know what? It amazed me, and I think about it with the eyes that we see. Jesus always moved from a heart of compassion. When he looked out and saw all these people, he didn't move to judgment, to condemnation. He looked at the Father in heaven and said, We're rich. There's a harvest. There's a harvest of people all around us. All I ask is that you get in the game and you pray for servants. Let's pray that now. Father, I pray that as we come to the end of this specific part of Matthew, that you would begin to start talking to us about what it means to see need, to put ourselves in places of need, to begin looking at people the way you see them, to see the spiritual condition and to begin to go, wow. We're really rich because we have the Holy Spirit and this is a God-sized thing. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray, as we sing this song, touch our hearts, that we might send out more and more people into the harvest field, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.